Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode. Now before we get into it, I just want to let you know that this podcast is growing rapidly. Both the YouTube element and the audio element on your usual podcast app. The numbers of listens are growing every episode that I release. Now let's continue with this momentum. Please, if you're finding these episodes interesting, share with a friend, share with a family member, tell somebody about it, get onto your social media and tweet me or post about it and tag me in it because because if we can do this as a team, we can grow this exponentially and we can really reach new heights with it. Now, as always, we have two websites up and running, jeremyindica.com and something to say official.com, where you can donate directly to this podcast. You can buy merchandise to support this podcast, or you could join the Patreon to help this movement grow and evolve. Now, this podcast is very interesting. It's actually the second time I've had this guest, Dr. Emily Setti, on. She has a wealth of knowledge and for me it's just the way she communicates it's super engaging and I've seen her in schools and colleges interacting with young people too and she's phenomenal at that I really hope you enjoy this thank you Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode and today we have a guest called Dr Emily Setti who in fact was the first guest that I ever had when I turned this into a podcast and not just a YouTube recording. So Emily, hello, good morning. Hey, good morning. Amazing. Yes, I'm I'm pleased about it because actually it's been like 17 or 18 episodes now, I think. And the mm-hmm. podcast is actually really, really growing. So I'm so pleased about it. And um, people are... Um, interested in listening to this when they're traveling to work or doing whatever they're doing so to have it not only on YouTube but also on podcast format is is really great now um me and you actually did a bit of work together recently Mm -hmm. um which was a consent workshop with teenage boys um so it would be great if you could just um tell my audience a little bit about what that workshop was about and what your aims for it was Yeah, sure. So um, actually, it followed on from some stuff that I did in 2022 um, with an organization called Life Lessons. And what we wanted to do was was figure out from teenage boys how they felt about some of the education that they're getting in schools about the topic of sexual consent. And we did that because um, there's a whole kind of like public narrative about harmful sexual behavior among young people and how best to prevent that and deal with that. And um, schools are under a legal duty now from the Department of Education to include education about consent in their um, kind of relationships and sex education program. And we wanted to know about how um, teenage boys were relating to that and how they felt about that. And, um, you know, particularly, and maybe we'll get into it, but, you know, um, boys and men are often seen as like the targets of needing to change their attitudes and behaviours and like they're the cause of the problem and all of this. And we kind of just wanted to give boys an opportunity to like talk about how they felt about some of that and, and what they were taking from what they were being told um, educationally. And so, yeah, there was a whole bunch of findings from that. And then um, the next phase of it that we kind of did um, also with someone else, wasn't it from Surrey, Will Hudson um, from the Guildford School of Acting. Um, what we wanted to do because, okay, so when 
I shared the findings from that first stage of research with teachers and, and other people, it was all like, yeah, yeah, super interesting. But like, what do we do now in the classroom? Like, how do we change things? How do we have different conversations with boys? How do we make it more effective? And, um, and yeah, so the point of the workshop was to was to bring teenage boys into that and say okay like what would you recommend to educators like what do you think should be done um and so yeah we we did three hours didn't we with them i think yeah. it was about that and we just kind of spent the time talking to them about their ideas and what they think would work and not work and and all the rest of it and and off the back of it um obviously then produce this document that schools and hopefully others will be able to um engage with um and actually as we were kind of saying before we started weren't we that um it has picked up quite mm. well people are um are reading it and and engaging with it and and finding that it's quite helpful so that's been really good to see yeah and i'm so pleased i'm pleased for you as well that that, that got some traction so we'll put the link to that document uh, in the description of this podcast so anybody that wants to go and check that out or use it uh, can do so so um during that um workshop i found it so so interesting what age were the boys 17 weren't they uh 16 and 17 16 and 17 yeah so we had three scenarios that we they were playing out we split them out into groups and um one of us would go around and support them uh, through the scenario and and kind of um encourage their findings if they were if they were struggling a little bit mm -hmm. and one of the things that i spoke to all the groups on was i i wanted to chat with them about how they felt about um if they felt like solely responsible for consent uh, mm -hmm. during uh, interaction with someone else uh, whether they thought that boys have got it a bit harsher than the girls because it's it's like it's almost like um and and they all responded saying yeah we feel like it's all our responsibility and and the blame is all on us and we're, we're actually quite scared about even getting involved with girls these days because uh, we feel like um if something goes wrong it's all our fault um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, I didn't say to them, but in my mind, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure when I was a teenager, even early 20s, we weren't really thinking about things like this. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I, I, you know, that wasn't a conversation in, in school, for sure, and within our friendship groups. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you feel? You, you feel that this is drastic, this has changed quite, quite a lot since, since 10, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting what you say about being younger, because, yeah, I, I don't think I was particularly educated about consent or even that didn't even really kind of like factor no. into your peer culture or anything like no. it wasn't a thing. Um, and yeah, so things have changed. And I think it's interesting what you're touching on there, because it's it's like we conflate raising awareness of certain terms like the fact that all young people will be familiar with the term consent with the idea that they understand what they've got to do and they understand their responsibilities and like that they've got that knowledge and so therefore they're going to go out and have better quality more ethical kind of sexual interactions with each other but I don't think awareness always does correlate with confidence and and, and improved behavior I mean we know that knowledge practice gap um I'm sure the teachers listening will will be aware of that um, in in RSE, but um, and I think some of that has been about the way that it's been framed to these boys because I get it. Um, we, we've we've identified this problem of harmful sexual behaviour. You know, we've had Me Too. We've had everyone's invited. All of this stuff has brought this onto like the public landscape, and and there's some benefits to that probably to be having these conversations. But then what we've kind of done is we've said, right, boys 
all these behaviors that were like really normalized for however long that no one really paid any attention to right that's all over now got to buck your ideas up you've got to start taking responsibility you're the powerful one in the dynamic you are also the one who like is potentially going to commit a crime if you do something non-consensual like here here's the information that you need to know about what the law says and what you've got to do and actually you know some education does frame it kind of gender neutral that everybody's consent matters and, and all of that but but you've got to think with kids like the messages we give them are always being interpreted within a bigger kind of cultural social landscape so we think we're saying something <laughs> and then they're interpreting it in a particular way mm. and um, and we've got to be really aware of that kind of ecosystem that they're developing in and um, for various reasons boys are taking on this idea that we are being held responsible for that mm. and some people might say well yeah quite right too they should feel responsible and they should take that on and 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 behave better or whatever but actually kind of like you're implying um a lot you know we, we've then got this reification of boys as like abusive and problematic by their very nature and needing to do something about that when actually most boys you speak to you know mm. are really nervous about this <laughs> stuff and don't really know what they're kind of doing and all the rest of it um and I think there's a lot of kind of like public narrative about, you know, crisis of masculinity and and like, you know, this idea of toxic masculinity and boys being kind of blamed and held responsible for everything. And I think that's that's creating a really entrenched gender dynamic, like boys and girls have this kind of oppositional dynamic going on and like the boy could get arrested and the girl could get assaulted. And it's just a really negative way of framing people's relationships. So I feel like we almost need to like, shift the frame of reference to like why is consent important like what what are we actually doing here with our sexual interactions rather than it being this kind of hostile mm. interaction because I think we see like you know social media and, and all this there's a lot of stuff out there that plays on that narrative that like men and women are, are like opposites and mm. they'll, 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 they'll they won't have each other's best interests at heart and you've got to kind of look out for each other and I think that's actually quite sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's like, relationships, yeah. yeah, it's like it's like we're 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 framing it so that so that they're 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 on opposite teams, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, when actually, you know, uh, uh, interaction between two people, a sexual interaction between two people is a pairing. It's like you're you're a team in the in the whole situation. So it's mm-hmm. both of your responsibility to ensure that it's done ethically are we using the word ethical ethically yeah I don't even know what the I mean god okay academically there's like so many debates about like what's the term that you should use and like yeah it is yeah so um the kind of conceptual way of framing this I don't know maybe all these words will just assume mean kind of the same thing yeah yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) um but yeah like yeah totally and I think I think that it's good in terms of creating a more positive vision out of any social problems that we see so um you know because it's so fractious isn't it it has me too been good for exposing institutionalized sexual violence or has it undermined you know all these guys due process rights and it's all been like trial by social media you know there's all these debates on different sides isn't there but if we can reframe it in a more positive direction um and actually talk about because you know a lot of the boys that you know you you speak to including like in the workshop they don't want to go and violate a girl. They're not sitting yeah. there going, you know, I really actually want to assault somebody or I really don't care whether or not this person is happy or, or whatever. Um, 
but even the idea of like well what is a wanted pleasurable sexual experience what how do you even read that in someone else how do you even make sense of that yourself like there's a lot kind of going on there and I don't necessarily think a legalistic lens around like this is what consent is and you can get in trouble if you don't do this I don't really think it answers some of those complexities all it does is like layer on another load Mm. of anxiety about something that's already quite difficult to figure out and then of course you have boys and girls having positive experiences with each other and you have lesbian gay bisexual people who are completely like not included in that narrative like who's responsible in that situation and Mm. you know you find a real kind of blunting of, of understanding among young people about like the different dynamics in which power can unfold like on the one hand actually in that workshop they they were really quite nuanced about that weren't they about okay like there's this social idea that the guy's got the power and the girl is vulnerable within a sexual encounter but then they were also talking about so many different things weren't they like well like who's more attractive who fancies each other more who's more popular like there's so many status related power dynamics and we kind of don't talk about much of that Mm. And, you know, and I think actually kind of like broadening the discussion would be more inclusive to kids of all different sort of sexual orientations, um, but also like would get at more the nuance of how these dynamics unfold. Because some of the boys will say themselves that they have sexual experiences that they didn't really want and mm. they find it difficult to refuse and and say no. And I think really kind of unpacking that. Um, is more helpful than just putting up a PowerPoint with like. Yeah, I I, I think that was a really there. interesting part of of the discussion where, um, sometimes something we never really uh, which is never really talked about in this in this area is that sometimes boys are having sex when they don't actually want to, because mm-hmm. if they don't, then their peers are gonna um take the take the Mickey out of them or they they feel pressured to have sex because it's something that brings them status mm-hmm. like boys are also finding um this is challenging environment for boys too it's not just mm-hmm. that simplistic like you say narrative that's pushed of of boys just chasing girls all the time so yeah. so so how is it how is it that in your work you're starting to discover is the best way um to communicate with these with these boys yeah i think you know kids actually do really sort of want and appreciate credible factual information like the amount of times you're asked like really detailed questions about like what would the law say on this like very specific set of scenarios like they really want to talk it through and they have an interest in it and I think it's good to capitalize on that and and connect with that and try to be as honest as you can but I think what we try to do often is like overly rationalize it so say like with drinking and alcohol and consent and with and it's very much like intoxication is is a problem for capacity and it's really dangerous and blah 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 and and yeah like it is you know I get all that um but then I say to the kids oh, okay so like you've learned all that you've learned it's really bad to have sex when you're drunk so I'm assuming nobody does that anymore mm. right like no no one's having sex at parties and all of that and they're like no people are still doing it now they're just freaking out that they're going to get in trouble <laughs> so I try I'm like okay right like what order of this are we going to start from? Am am I going to just keep telling you the law over and over again? Or am I going to ask you about what's going on or what you're concerned about and what's happening for you and and think, okay, well, how can we move a pathway forward with what you're actually experiencing and dealing with? Um, 
So I'm trying to like get them to bring it to the table and I don't endorse it. I'm not like, oh yeah, go off and have loads of sex at parties with people you don't know and just like hope for the best. No, it's like, okay, right. Talk me through these situations. Like not that you've personally been in, that would mm. be inappropriate, but like <laughs> as you perceive to be the case and let's talk about, right, what what might be some of the pressures and expectations and the problems here? So like potentially this idea that they will repeat that like, hold oh, like, on, if you're at a party and someone's flirting with you and like dancing with you or whatever, and then you're like, oh, should we go upstairs? Um, technically, yeah, the person has the right in the bedroom to be like, no, I've changed my mind. Mm. And I'm like, okay, cool. It's it's great that you get that. And I'm like, so what happens in that situation? Like, what does, what does that feel like? Do we always feel that we can change our minds? Like, how does it feel if someone else is saying no to something we thought they were kind of into and we're talking about like the emotion of that and like how do you deal with that rejection in the moment like how do you deal with letting somebody down and and all of that and and that's why actually you know we've spoken about this haven't we the the kids being shown like the cup of tea video and stuff mm. and um like again I'm sure all the teachers listening probably have shown this and I think it's really like what did the boys say in the workshop like it's a simple way of presenting a very complex mm. scenario, right? Like it's oversimplifying it. And I asked the boys, I'm like, okay, um, you can, somebody might say, yeah, I want a cup of tea and you make it and you put it down in front of them and they go, actually, I've changed my mind. Mm. Okay, sweet. You don't like force them to drink it. But I'm like, is it always easy to say no to something that you've already said yes to five minutes ago that someone's mm. like made the effort for? Is it, would you actually think, well, hang on a minute, I've just made this for you. Like that's a bit out of order that you now <laughs> say you don't want it. And it's like, actually, yeah, we all know the rules, but what are the unwritten rules? What right. are the pressures, expectations and obligations that we feel? And how can we create spaces that dismantle some of those expectations and pressures and obligations like what can we both do for each other how can we make that a different sort of environment for each other mm -hmm. so yeah okay maybe you've been like flirting and dancing and it's all a bit of a signal that something might be on the cards what can you do when you're in that room with somebody that might remove some of those pressures that might make it feel a little bit of a safer space where you're still like getting excited and fancying each other and it's it's all cool i get mm -hmm. it it's it's really great fun but like, how can you manage that situation where both you and the other person will be feeling kind of okay? And okay. often it comes down to communication. And mm. that's the hardest thing. Mm. The hardest thing in any relationship and sexual interaction is actually communicating. And I don't think it's ever going to be this staccato, do you consent to this? Am <laughs> I allowed to do this every single five seconds <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> it's got to be a different sort of communication that actually feels possible and I don't think us having all the answers to that is necessarily the way that this is going to be solved. Mm. Actually saying, yeah, this is really awkward. It's really difficult. Most adults do not communicate <laughs> openly in their relationships about how they feel. So we get it. It's difficult. I think yes. this is what we were saying on the podcast before, weren't we? And I think as educators, whether we're parents, teachers, whatever, we've got to be more comfortable with some of this like open-ended nature of it. Mm. you know. And And that actually... I'll shut up in a minute. No, 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 please. Actually, is, is part of the, the the limitations of teaching about the law because we teach the law as a really black and white thing. Mm. This is consent. This is rape. This is sexual assault. When you actually enter into the legal and the criminal justice process, all of that certainty goes out the window. It's all about evidence and the balance of, well, not balance of probabilities, but, you know, reasonable doubt and all of this stuff. 
factors in and like what can we do with these allegations what is happening here with this all of that very sanitized information that young people have received about what the law says does not actually shape how these processes unfold and um you know and people have various opinions on that and how the police and courts and stuff deal with these um allegations and and and, and cases but we need to be telling kids that actually some of this stuff isn't black and white mm -hmm. one of the big questions i get asked is okay alcohol if someone's too drunk they don't have capacity to consent right. but what happens if both of you are drunk right. and okay well the law says that the alleged perpetrator is almost like it's an aggravating factor that they were drunk right because they're like almost being reckless it doesn't let them off they can't go oh i was drunk and didn't realize mm -hmm. and actually the the alleged victim's intoxication makes that person more vulnerable mm. that's technically what the law says but right if you actually report that to the police and there's no other evidence i, I mean my my best guess would be not much is going to happen with that mm. so the law is not going to solve those kind of messy gray area type situations we're not going to be able to give kids this is the answer to your question about if both of you are drunk there isn't an answer to that question right. there are so many contextual variables on that as to what would happen and actually i'm trying to shift kids away from thinking that there is just this black and white answer that there's this road map and if you just do x y and z you'll be safe okay. right and it's like, actually, can we break this down a bit? And and I think showing them that it's more complicated than that will encourage them to be more mindful yeah. in the different situations that they get into. Yeah, do be more careful. Do be more mindful. Mm. Don't just kind of launch yourself around doing whatever, because mm. all this stuff is a little bit confusing, mm. actually. And the more respectful and careful and and genuinely interested you are in the other person in front of you, like the better, actually. Mm. But that can be a nice thing. It doesn't have to be something you're frightened of. Yes. It can be a positive way to engage with people. Yeah, so it's about framing this in an encouraging, positive way that leaves them feeling a bit uplifted and not just like, oh my goodness, this is so scary. I may do something wrong that actually I'm just not going to bother at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's a bit of a thing that gets said of like oh post me too men can't even speak to a woman and blah, blah blah and some of that gets a bit overstated you know but but like there is some truth to the idea that you know if we are putting this frame of you might get arrested for this sexual interaction or you're you know you might you because this happens as well like rumors get spread and like boys get sort of ostracized and stuff within their mm. peer groups if they're if they're deemed a bit creepy or a bit mm. whatever and you know if that's what we're kind of doing to boys and girls and and young people in in their peer cultures i i do kind of understand why some boys are like okay no i can't be dealing with this yeah. because it was already terrifying it was already terrifying to be like oh my god i'm in like a bedroom with a girl what <laughs> the hell is gonna happen now like that was already a really yeah. intimidating experience right yeah. um if we're now saying and by the way somebody could get assaulted somebody could get arrested i mean god wh where do you even begin <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> now that you've just said that I'm, I'm i'm remembering about my first sexual interactions and how like how like this new crazy world that you're scared of and it's all nerve-wracking and like it's already such a um confusing and nerve-wracking time the last thing you need is for you to be wondering oh am i a perpetrator now or am i a criminal or am i doing this mm -hmm. right or it's like yeah, yeah i just feel like for those just to take it back to the workshop those i don't know how many kids did we have there 
uh like 18 I yeah think. and and, yeah. and I, I would i would just love for them to have all left that workshop which i think they did just feeling like they feel more confident because if they're confident in the situation I'm, I'm guessing like if we can give um young young teenage boys confidence in these situations then they're going to be more confident to make sure that everything's okay with the girl that they're upstairs with at a party and they've both had a couple of drinks and they're just making sure both parties in that room are both really happy with what they've got going on the, the tricky part comes is because it's not natural or not normal to stop every two minutes and be like, um, just checking if you're okay with this. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, is it okay if I move over here, please? Like, it's just not <laughs> realistic. Is it? I mean, no, it's not. I no. mean, so it's like, so please, how, in, in your like findings or your latest ways of thinking, how is somebody supposed to um, ensure that consent is continuously being given throughout the whole encounter? Yeah. And this is the whole affirmative consent thing, isn't it? It's like, yes means yes. And anything less <laughs> than a yes is not consensual. But what, and this really came out in the first phase of the research. The boys were like, well, A, people don't always communicate exactly as you say in this very like asking for things and getting permission and all of that. And also, saying yes doesn't mean you actually feel yes mm. okay what does it mean to freely with capacity give consent in a genuine way like and there's so many um kind of layers to that isn't that so it's almost like it's not a solution hearing that yes doesn't actually make you think right we're all cool like mm. there's so much going on around there and also i think it reinforces this idea of consent as a transactional thing as in one person asks for something and the other person says yes or no and we go like that and actually most of our interactions in life are more mutual than that and in a way we should hopefully be trying to frame sexual interactions as, as not a kind of like transaction and actually it can be almost dangerous to do so because some boys I speak to her like, well, you know, if she says yes, then fine, sweet, I've got my yes, I'm cracking on, mm. you know, and it, and they almost think, right, well, I, I'm out of trouble now, mm. I've got what I need to stay out of trouble. Mm. And again, it like feeds into what we were saying earlier, like, if that's really the way that we want them to be approaching these scenarios. And I think you know, it sounds a bit sort of cringy, but this idea of right, like everybody in the room's got to be cool and like on the same page, how do we know whether somebody you know is feeling the situation and it might be verbal like okay what what's those sort of three things so people say what does consent feel like what does it sound like what does it look like mm. and how do we read that in somebody um and how do we read it in ourselves how do we know actually um what we're thinking and feeling how do we know whether we're really comfortable about something because often there's ambivalence right mm. um we can simultaneously want something and not want something for various reasons and a lot of that might be related to like social pressures you know say girls will say you kind of want to get with somebody but then you don't because if other people find out you're going to get like slut shamed and stuff yeah. um or on the other hand maybe you don't really feel ready for something but like you fancy somebody and you think if you say no that they'll like not really want to talk to you again so so there's a lot going on isn't there that almost clouds our own ability to understand what we want mm. and so I think almost like trying to break down okay what would actually constitute free informed genuine consent what would that look feel sound like and what are all the barriers to actually being able to figure that out for ourselves and to figure it out for someone else mm. and what can we do about some of those barriers and like 
it doesn't have to be this do you want this right now am i allowed <laughs> to sit here am i allowed to touch you it can be just like like just gen like i don't know like oh god i mean anything i say is just going to sound so cringy but it's even like okay if a boy is aware that a girl might do something because she really fancies him what can that boy do in the bedroom like can that boy almost be like you know i'm really into you like you know i'm mm. down for whatever you're down for like but we're cool you know it's uh, like you say i mean i'm 36 i have no freaking idea what people should say in these situations but and and that's where i take it from the kids i'm like okay what types of language what what would feel like a possible thing yeah but it's that isn't it is how do we create spaces for each other to figure out what we're both thinking and feeling and wanting mm. and likewise with girls actually because something i find interesting is that some of the boys think that it is easier for a girl to turn down a boy than the other way around right. because the girl's kind of got this like i'm not ready thing it's not personal i'm just not like mm. i'm not down for this kind of thing and the boy's like all right then like take it on the chin you know all of this yeah whereas this notion that boys are like always sexually up for stuff they mm -hmm. always want to have sex and they'll have sex with anybody and they're like really hormonal all the rest of it that like social norm means that if a boy says no to a girl then the girl's gonna be like oh right what you don't fancy me then like right. and so actually all of that needs to be broken down like on both sides so if i speak to girls i'm like okay like what pressure do you think that's putting on the boy particularly if he's coming from like a peer group like a male peer group that's like i don't know he's the only one that hasn't lost his virginity yeah. or something like all of this stuff will interact to potentially create a really unwanted experience for that boy what can we do to resolve some of that right. and that's what i'm quite interested in exploring with these kids what is the barrier to like a genuinely consensual situation and what can we do about it for ourselves and for the other person and i don't think exactly as you intimate that just asking every 30 seconds yeah. is this okay is this not okay i don't think that's really gonna gonna cut it mm. because the answer you're gonna get is is still gonna be shaped by all those thoughts and feelings mm. that people have in their head so it's not really gonna work so do you talk to girls too? Yeah, I do. I've talked to more and more talking to boys because okay. like, I, I just find talking to boys so bloody hilarious. Like, <laughs> the, you know, that workshop. I mean, we're just laughing half yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, the way they kind of come out with stuff. And I, and I do think because we do have this social narrative where boys are getting really kind of blamed for all the problems in the world and they're feeling quite alienated from that. Yeah. You know, and then we're worried that they're listening to like Andrew Tate or whoever and like, you know, and all of those problems. And I think that's a real social problem that needs mm -hmm. to be addressed right now. Um, so that's why a lot of my research focuses right now on that. Um, but um, yeah, I have done plenty with girls as well. So like, I do pick up on that side of the coin too. Yeah, Because that, that, that would be helpful for them to be like, as equipped as the boys on this mm -hmm. on this conversation as well like like yeah. you say just ensuring that the boy you you feel like the boy it, it, this is what the boy wants too um mm -hmm. so so as we as we say we, we we're getting to the point that this is a true partnership yeah between mm -hmm. two people in a sexual interaction ensuring that they're both comfortable with the situation and, and continuously comfortable from start to finish and not by um, asking, uh, are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? Because that's just not realistic. And that takes, I, I don't know, like <laughs> just asking the question. Um, the problem, I think, I feel like the problem is actually asking the question takes the, 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 
the excitement or it, it makes it st- it kind of makes the interactions it takes the sexual energy yeah, out. yeah 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 and that you know um and some people talk about um the idea of like it more being about like does this feel good okay and, like, and, and that like and actually okay. like how do we particularly with a new partner understand yes. even what's working for them yes um, and that can be a way of almost like keeping that sexual mm. effervescence alive or whatever um yeah yeah definitely and I think that's something that has to be mutual right like um, you know regardless of your sexual orientation or gender (laughs) or whatever um and it is interesting around like obviously we're talking about like sexual consent but but you know both boys and girls can engage in quite like problematic relationship behaviors um and the kind of coercive and controlling behaviors and, and emotional abuse and all of that kind of stuff is not something that we can just completely put at the door at at the door of boys like Mm. like this is happening a lot in young people's peer groups and there's a lot of normalized behaviors um and and girls can behave quite unethically towards boys sometimes i you know like thinking about like image-based stuff um Mm. you know the sending nudes and all the rest of it um girls can tell stories of doing some really harsh stuff to boys mm. like oh yeah you know we've all let a sleepover and like one of us messages this boy from school and we like pretend to fancy him and he yeah. sends us a picture and we're all like laughing and the next day it's all like so hilarious and I'm like girls that's that's horrible yeah. like, that's absolutely mortifying like um and I think because we have focused so much on boys we have almost like led girls to think that the stuff they do is no big deal right like, oh, boys like like they're not upset about anything like they right. get all the lad points they're not bothered right and actually yeah there is this cultural process whereby girls get shamed for having sex and boys get celebrated yeah i get that that cultural norm exists and it is a very powerful one um in young people's peer groups and it creates a lot of power imbalances within um the more sort of intimate um arrangements that young people end up in but I think what it also does is lead to like a complete absence of attention on the way in which boys can negatively experience things. And like, I know like horrible things are said, like when boys come out um, and men and they say, you know, I was sexually assaulted actually. And they're like, really though? Did you not just enjoy that? Yeah. And I think all of this is so counterproductive for everybody involved um, and can lead girls to do things that they don't even recognize as abusive Mm. when it is actually abusive. Mm. And I think it's that distinction between sort of like the social and cultural environment that people are in and individually how they feel. Just because some guys can get lab points does not mean that every guy is 100% up for sex always and will always enjoy it no matter what, because that's just not true. Right. And I think we really need to be like talking to kids more about that. Okay. So uh, this is not black and white. This is like Mm -hmm. all the different shades of grey, right? So with a school trying to teach this to their year 10s and 11s, I mean, um, the, the curriculum has to be written and I'm pretty sure that they rely on things being black and white. Uh, mm. And so when it's open-ended like this, it's almost impossible to teach because everybody's going to have an opinion on what they're t- teaching the year 9s, 10s and 11s and whatever age other age groups they do. So what what is the situation in schools at the moment? Like, how are they handling this? Yeah, so DfE, Department for Education Guidance, says they have to teach the law on consent, what constitutes the illegal behaviours, assault, rape, and all the rest of it. Um, And also there's a line in there about, like, 
how to give consent, interpret it, something like that. I don't okay. know the exact wording, but something along those lines. So, you know, the, the impression that I get from schools is that they are teaching this legal definition um, of um, what constitutes consent, free, informed, genuine choice, and all the rest of it. Um, they then show the cup of tea video okay. that shows people's rights to say no and change their mind and all the rest of it. Um, with... Um, what I find though is that then it's like, right, we've given you all this information, you're cool now. Like okay. you know what you're doing. Okay. And these kids are then repeating back the rules on consent and we're all good. And I totally get it. Like sometimes they've got like 30 minutes, they've just got to bash out this quick lesson. That's it. Once a year, we're done on consent. Right. And I get the challenges of that. And there are a bit there are questions about how do we design and an RSE curriculum that's actually comprehensive and, and 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 deals with the topics in depth enough and all the rest of it. I think though, what is really important is to is to say, okay, well, what are the differences between the rules and the way it actually pans out? And to what extent can the rules give us answers to the way it pans out? What else do we need to know? What else do we need to be thinking about? Where else do we need to be careful, mindful, reflective, and not bring a whole load of assumptions like gendered assumptions or whatever it might be to the situation and even just leaving that as a bit open is almost like a learning outcome in itself because it's raised these kids awareness right that we are not going to solve this really simply just by like learning the the law on consent there yeah. will be other things that you've got to think about when you go out and have your relationships and even if we're giving examples of some of the things that you might want to think about like that will just be enough to get the juices flowing in a way like like the best thing that I see actually is yeah like you said earlier when kids go out like feeling a little bit more confident a little bit more aware but also on the other hand I quite like it when they go out thinking do you know what this is actually more complicated than I thought mm. like so in the first set of research that I did um when they were all reciting the law on consent to me, I was like, okay, sweet. So you know what you're doing now, right? Everything's fine. And they were like, oh, like, well, no, not really. And they're bringing in all this stuff about like gray areas and like when people don't communicate. And then some of the boys in the groups would say things like, yeah, but none of that matters though. Like if you don't hear a yes, like that's not like, then you can't have sex with them. And that's the end of the discussion. Okay. So like, it doesn't matter if like people don't communicate, like if you don't get that yes, end of story. Mm. And it's almost like this desire to almost like simplify it again. So, okay, we've got this simple law um, as far as law is simple, but we've got this simple rule. Um, then someone complicates it a little bit. And then the response to complicating it a bit is to just simplify it again. Mm. And I'm like, no, I don't actually think that's the solution. I think the fact that you're complicating it is a good thing because okay. it will actually like make you more self-aware it will make you think differently the next time that you're in a situation it's good actually that you're realizing this isn't simple yeah so but that's actually you know i get it like i've got research privilege i can go in and do that and yeah. i get that teachers you know that they're under a pedagogy right where they've got to impart information they've got to have these certain learning outcomes um They've got Ofsted inspections. They've got yeah. all of this sort of stuff to contend with. And actually one of the schools that I worked with said, you know, if the emphasis was on creating a consent culture that deals with all of this stuff that goes on around consent, then that's what we do. But at the moment, it's not that. It's teach kids the facts about what they're allowed to do and not right. allowed to do 
and they will be assessed on whether they have absorbed those facts. Mm -hmm. So I get that the sort of landscape that schools are working within is quite challenging. Yeah. And so I only say all of this as what I believe should be the case, hmm. not what I think, right, okay, come on schools, fuck yeah. your ideas up. I think actually it's really difficult um, for schools to solve this social problem. Yeah. Um, full I mean, stop. Yeah. But particularly with the resources and the current climate around what schools do in the classroom on mm. things to do with sex and relationships. So then let's move um, what conversations in homes can, can help. So if, if schools are in a situation where they've got lack of resources, lack of time, um, lack of artistic license, essentially, right. They've also got um, to please Ofsted. They've got to please parents also. And um, so that, that must just be a hugely, hugely challenging for schools. Mm -hmm. So then if we start talking about the conversation of consent with um, in homes between parents mm -hmm. and children, um, then possibly that conversation in the home can cover what the school can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering for any parents out there or aunties and uncles or brothers and sisters that want to talk to the young people in their family about consent and how to behave appropriately in a sexual situation. I just feel like that sentence mm -hmm. is, um, it, it, it makes things more approachable than teaching consent to young people in your family, how to behave appropriately in sexual mm -hmm. situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, let's chat a little bit about that because that is a different conversation because you're not a teacher now. You're, you're, yeah. You're adult. And I think, you know, something, cause yeah, I've done some stuff with parents and, and something that really comes through from parents is that like, they have that much more like intimate knowledge almost of their child. And like the school's trying to run like an institution, aren't they? Mm. Like in dealing with like hundreds of kids and like, actually, yeah, whether it be parents, aunties, uncles, siblings, whatever, there's much more of a sort of relationship of care and love and, and all of that. And I think there's so much potential there. I think though, you know, a narrative with like RSE and stuff is, oh, it should be happening in the home and it's parents first duties and all the rest of it. And I also like don't necessarily believe in that. I think like kids need so many influences. Yes. I think some parents are better placed than others to be able to even do this stuff. I mean, you know, if you're working and you're, you know, you have yeah. freaking time to do anything, like it can be really difficult to like feel responsible for solving this as well. So, yeah. um, you know, I always kind of caveat it with that. But, but again, like I think there is loads of positive potential there, particularly around okay, what, what, what is it? What does it really take to have a happy, healthy? set of relationships and sexual experiences because that's what people want um for their kids and mm. maybe not when they're like 14 but you know as <laughs> yeah, they get yeah. older and they get into adulthood and I think if it can be seen as a a kind of journey rather than a like today we are going to sit down and talk about this you know instead it's just taking opportunities to have conversations about yeah like what constitutes um a healthy relationship what are the challenges to that like what where where can it be difficult where can our sort of emotions get in the way again it's about not simplifying it okay yeah maybe the average teenager doesn't really want to know about the sort of in-depth detail of their parents relationships necessarily but like empathizing with that idea that yeah you know certain stuff can go on in relationships and we can do certain things and like we don't even really like what we're doing and we're like oh my god what what's happening here and you know and, and how like really trying to use those interactions with your child to really build self-awareness and to build self-reflection again it's not about saying oh my god as the parent I've got to like turn around and say all this stuff and solve it all in one conversation instead like 
saying yeah you know um that's probably quite difficult right and like and kind of again like i was saying before like not not being frightened of the fact that this is complicated and won't have easy solutions something i'm also though picking up from parents is not only do they kind of want their kids to be like happy and healthy but they also want to protect them from like negative outcomes of their behavior when i was younger it was i remember it with my mum. she was like i don't want your brother to get a girl pregnant and i don't want you to get pregnant if i can get you both through your teenage years without either of those outcomes i am cool and there is that sort of thing in the back of parents minds isn't there like i don't want this to go wrong for yeah my kids. and i think at the current time the parents that I speak to are concerned about their daughters being assaulted and harassed and are worried like them going out into public space and like what might happen and all the rest of it. And they're worried about their sons potentially being accused of something. Right. And, you know, I've literally had um, mums put their hands up to me in like workshops and stuff and go, how do I protect my son from being accused of rape? Wow. Like, wow. Okay. There's like so much in that question. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, you know, what are we bringing to the conversation with these kids? How might we actually be entrenching or reifying okay. some of these stereotypical ideas about risk and responsibility and the law and all of that? And I think actually pushing back on that mm. um, a little bit is important because I'm like, right, well, if you go in and you say to your son, all right, son, you know, um, look around you get girls are accusing boys of stuff you wow. might potentially get arrested you've got to be bloody careful when you're interacting with a girl wow that that's really going to feed into that hostile dynamic i've had boys tell me my parents have said don't trust anything girls say they wow. can always get you into trouble they're dangerous and i'm like okay this is a really negative thing that we're putting onto these kids mm. And as adults, we almost do need to look at like our baggage, as it were, and what we're bringing to these conversations, because we are not neutral. We are part of a culture. We are part of society. Yeah. We grew. I mean, I love it when teachers say, particularly I get this from teachers, oh, harmful sexual behaviours in schools. It's all mobile phones. It's all social media. That's what's caused all the problems. <laughs> and I'm like, really? So like before mobile phones, we didn't have any of these issues. Yeah, we totally did. So like, absolutely not. And we grew up in that. We grew up with a bunch of normalized stuff. I remember yes. it all. Yes. And we, so we are part of the problem almost, not mm. in a like we should blame ourselves, mm. but we need to look at what we're bringing um, mm. to our conversations with young people. Um, and I think parents sometimes have to think about that. Mm. What are you saying about all this? Yeah. Um, yeah. What subtle things are you bringing in um, to your conversations? And okay, I get it. Like, I don't know, your son says, I mean, every boy wants to talk about that, being accused of, mm. you know, rape or assault or something. And that's something that is very heightened in the teenage boy brain at the moment. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm not saying just go, oh, no, whatever. That doesn't matter. Talk about it. Yeah. Okay, what's the concern? Again, it goes back to everything that we've been talking about over the last, like, 45 minutes or whatever. Okay, tell me what you're worried about. Yeah. Tell me what, why you think this outcome might result. And yeah. let's look at some solutions to that. Because that's what I do with the boys. Okay, yeah, false accusations of rape. Yeah, fine. You know, I get it. What what happens in the classroom when a boy says, I want to talk about girls that accuse guys of rape? The teacher puts up a PowerPoint going, well, only 5% of rapes are false accusations. Okay. And all the boys are like, okay, thank you for that statistic. It's <laughs> not helpful, right? <laughs> what I try and do with them is I go, okay, cool. Why are you raising that? What? Tell me what the issue is. Tell me what's yeah. going on. 
And actually what you find is what they're worried about is, yeah, okay, maybe a girl will genuinely turn around and say it was non-consensual, even though she was clearly consenting at the time. Maybe that might happen. But actually what they're more concerned about is breakdown of communication. They're concerned about that situation where like they thought it was okay and the girl didn't. And then they find out the next day that the girl's saying, actually, I feel violated. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like, is the girl lying then if she says she feels violated? And they were like, well, no, not necessarily she's lying because she probably does feel violated. But like, I didn't realize. And I was like, right, okay, let's shift the narrative then. You're not actually worried about false accusations. You're worried about something else. And you're worried that a breakdown of communication will lead to you getting arrested. Right. So let's strip out the arrested thing because mm. you're probably not going to get arrested. Like mm. let's park that. Let's talk about what, what what's really going on here. It's mm. the fact that you don't know how to manage these situations so that everybody feels safe yeah. and happy with it. Right? Yeah. And I think that's what's so important to do. Like, okay, what are we really talking about here? And I mean, this is, I mean, I've spent years doing this. I'm not like saying, oh, I'm amazing or whatever, but like my job is to interpret what people mean when they say certain things. Like, I'm curious about what you mean. Okay. When you use that word, what does that mean? Like, Mm. that's what I do for a job. So, okay. What I would recommend is do that with young people. Don't think I know what you're talking about and now I'm going to put a PowerPoint up. Right. Or I've got my own set of worries about what you might be getting up to. So I'm just going to give you a lecture on how to behave. Right. Ask them what they mean. Ask them why they're worried about something. Ask them why they're bringing it up. Because that will give you the clue as to what they're actually talking about. Yeah. And with the false accusation stuff, that has been a really impactful part of this research because everybody has gone, oh my God, yeah, I didn't realize this was what they actually meant. I thought they were being a bit misogynistic or girls lie and they're just being bang mm-hmm. out of order. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you asked them though what they meant? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, I haven't actually asked them. <laughs> and I'm like, right, okay. Like we could have saved a whole bunch of time <laughs> if we just asked them. And that's my job, right? That's why I do the research. So now I'm telling people about it. Yeah. And so I'm like, if you're now going to go in, parent, whoever, if you go in saying girls might lie about you, girls might say all this, you're not helping solve the problem. You're actually making it worse. And yeah. I get why you're saying it. You're saying it because you don't want your kid to get arrested. You you want them to like get yeah. through their time and not do anything you yeah. know, dodgy. So I get it. I get the parental concern. But that's why the parents almost need to reflect a little bit. Like I'm not giving parenting advice. I think mm. I said this to you before. Yeah, yeah. I never give parenting yeah. advice because I do not have kids and I wouldn't yeah. dream of doing that. But almost, it's like with anything, you've almost got to reflect on yourself a bit before you go in and have a conversation with anybody, right? Like, what am I doing here? What am I thinking and feeling? You are not a blank slate. You are not neutral and objective. You're not a therapist who's just sitting there taking it all. You are part of the interaction. And, you know, and so if you're aware of like, well, what are your concerns? And you you don't have to hide them. You could bring them up with Mm. your kids you could say you know i'm hearing all this stuff at the moment Mm. like what do you make of it it's good Mm. conversation starters Mm. but Mm. like it should be the start of a conversation not the start of like a lecture you know so um since uh when we did our first podcast one of the things i took away from it that i now have included in my presentation is to talk to these kids on a level and not talk down to them um, Mm -hmm. uh, as if you're lecturing them. And I actually uh, always say, uh, because it's hardly like we've got sex sorted out in our own life. And by the Mm -hmm. way, Emily, that is, I took that from our podcast. (laughs) I I think we joked about it. Yeah, And and that always gets a little laugh. 
because everybody mm-hmm. in the audience is like, yeah, we haven't got it sorted out either. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, to chat with them on a level and ask them questions and be like you say, um, I've been hearing about this thing. Uh, what do you think about it? Because yeah. they're in their own ecosystem, right? We are in a, just through our age, we're, uh, through our age and the way algorithms work, we are in a completely different ecosystem. So mm-hmm. I always feel like if we can ask them a question and ask how they can you tell me about that yeah yeah it brings them to the table uh, uh, um instead of being like this is how it is this is how you should behave this is what you should avoid it's like it just falls on deaf ears for, for no totally i think curiosity is so important and i think two things on that yeah one the adults in the room are not good at relationships it's not like it's not like right um you teach all this stuff about relationships and then you like tick the box for that I'm now really great at relationships and I'm now just going to crack on and do everything right that's not how it works every single adult knows that's not how it works yeah and I think and you know um this guy I work with Johnny Hunt he's really cool he knows so much about everything and he uses this statistic that came out recently um like front page okay only like there was a survey of like teenagers and adults about like sexual behaviors and the headline was only 50 percent of teenagers use a condom with a new partner on the first occasion right oh my god these kids half of them are having unprotected sex what was the statistic for adults (laughs) 30 percent of adults use a condom the first time (laughs) a new partner so actually the teenagers are more responsible than us so like you know we're not necessarily getting it right and i think actually showing that and we can show empathy and curiosity through that and also from an instrumental perspective nobody wants to be lectured to this isn't about teenagers nobody wants to be lectured to if someone did it to me i'd be like yeah thanks very much but no nobody wants that but if you give people the floor if they feel heard, if they feel validated, they will be much more receptive to what then you want to say back to them. Yes. And this is what I sometimes do with, with the kids. You know, you listen, listen, yeah, 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 get it all. Um, you kind of summarize what you're taking from them and helping them feel understood. And then you go, okay, there's a few things that you've said that I'd like to sort of pick up on and and, and sort of tell you my opinion on it. Like, what do you make of it? Of yes. me doing that? And they're all like listening. They yeah. want to know what you think. Because they don't just want to go on. They they are confused. They do want advice and suggestions and opinions and all mm. the rest of it. But yeah, they don't want a lecture. And mm. I think actually I'm not recommending this to adults just to help the kids out. I'm saying you can actually be better at conveying your point if mm. you take this approach to the conversation. Mm. Um, you know, it's not about, oh, how do I get kids to listen to me? It's about, okay, how do I have a conversation yeah. where some of what I might contribute could could resonate a little yeah. bit and um, when we we're at the yeah. end of the workshop and we had that we got everybody in a circle and um we were asking them how they felt about the scenarios that we played out there's there was like there's they're 16 and 17 but their answers were so mature and then one mm-hmm. person would say something it kick off another person to have a thought and it was such a mature conversation. Like mm-hmm. we, it's almost like we should give them actually more credit that we can have a mature conversation with them about yeah. sex. Yeah. I mean, and you would not think a group of teenage boys, you're going to sit down and have a mature nuanced conversation yeah. about sex. You know, the stereotype is like, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, you do have to lean into a bit of the chaos. You, you know, they do want to joke. They do want to express things a certain okay. way. Like I know when we're walking around the little groups, like there is a bit of like, you can't make it too serious like they do want to say certain things 
but yeah their ability to make nuanced contributions and and like when what yeah they bounce off of each other because if one person's saying something and then everyone's sort of listening they're like oh this is actually an okay space to do that and you've you have got to facilitate that like carefully um but yeah if you do it right you can you can get loads out of it incredible. and actually learning yourself yes you know? yes incredible. And, and, it, and it goes back to like yeah the, the philosophy of the conversation almost isn't it if we we remove it from adult expert telling kids a bunch of stuff to both sides of the table actually exploring and learning about something that is currently unsettled and will always be changing and all the rest of it um the better and more interesting for us actually amazing amazing do you um only speak in schools and colleges when it's to do with your research or are you like anyone can approach me to bring me into their school oh god yeah anyone can approach me i okay. like it doesn't have to be a research thing um i do like workshops and um and and, and sessions and all the rest of it yeah always doing that yeah okay so cool so can, contact yeah, can, me you whenever. Say, can, you, can you say like a little bit about what you put what what you've got on offer or, or on the table for anybody that's like we need to get uh emily into our school yeah sure so like um i do all kinds of i can do talks as it were on like yeah consent porn sexual image sharing online all of those sorts of issues like the key issues that we're worried about what is harmful sexual behavior what is a healthy relationship i can do all of that um as an almost like delivery mechanism yeah. but then i can also do workshops and more sort of interactive discussion-based stuff around some of those those things and always it's about okay like let's say okay this is what healthy relationships are mm. but like why aren't we having them you mm. tell me all of the kind of pedagogy of it is mm. this is what you're being taught now tell me what the barriers and facilitators are to making it happen Amazing. and by the end hopefully we would have found some ways to overcome some of the barriers right. and yeah I do that small groups big groups whatever really mm. and like I say a lot of the um the stuff I've been doing currently is on the big topics of the day that like schools and stuff are concerned about but can like easily be adapted and can like bring together like different things under like one umbrella or whatever so okay. so yeah it kind of depends what people are looking for and what they think the issues are really within within their school I went into a school recently where um they were concerned about girls being very judgmental of each other and a lot of sort of like gossiping and rumor spreading and slut shaming and all of that was going on within female peer groups okay. and there was a lot of exclusion and relational aggression so like yeah we just did like a two-hour thing with all the girls where we talked about all of that so yeah it can kind of be quite adaptive in that okay. sense amazing and i find you very engaging by the way and i've seen you in front of those teenage boys and you've definitely got all of their attention so to any teachers even parents that think um, emily would be great value to have at their school please do um send her information to your school or if you're a teacher get directly in contact with emily um how can people get in contact with you emily yeah no thank you for saying that jeremy by the way that's really nice of you um and yeah, so I assume in like the show notes, or whatever, you're just, yes. uh, you can put my email in and all of the rest of it. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, so yeah, some yeah. people follow me on there, message me, but also, yeah, you can email me direct. So yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Emily, thank you so Ooh. much for bringing this conversation. I think you do it very uniquely. And um, for people that have been listening to this podcast, you can check out our first podcast. I'll put that in the show notes too. So we've done two now. And I'd love to continue these conversations, Emily, because it's something I'm very interested with too, as I speak in schools and try to engage these young people and not leave them all sitting there, rolling their eyes, wondering when they're going to get out there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not what I want, right? I'd no, ra- I'd much, no. When is this guy going to stop talking? I'd much rather be on TikTok. That's not what. I, <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for them to be like, "This is incredible. I want more of it." So, yeah. Um, we'll keep trying to push for that. We've both got the same kind of aims and mission, so that's fantastic. Um, so thank you for everybody joining on this podcast episode, whether you're watching along on YouTube or listening to on listening in your podcast app. Thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon. Okay, so I wonder what you think about that conversation with the incredible Dr. Emily Setti. I think now you've listened to this, you can agree with me that she is communicating these very tricky topics in a really interesting way for us adults. And I have seen her in front of young people and she is phenomenal at engaging them too. So if you think she could bring value to your school, college, university, please hit her up. All the contacts for her will be in the description below. And for me, as you always know, we've got two websites running jeremyindecker.com and somethingtosayofficial.com where you can donate to my work directly you can buy merchandise which I'm actually wearing right now if you're watching this on YouTube or you could join the Patreon on a monthly membership all helping me to develop and evolve this work and up the frequency of this podcast up the quality of this podcast because I want this to get massive I want this to be a talking point between all sorts of groups of people to do share it around let's make moves let's get stronger together and let's take this to its full potential thank you